Rescue the Fosters is about changing the foster system. We want to ensure every child has a safe environment to grow and become healthy, successful adults. Additionally, when I was in the foster care system, I had to defend for myself. Rescue the Foster is here to empower the youth aging out of the system and offer resources to ensure they are not dependent on the government. What we observed was that children become institutionalized and end up in prison and providing the government with more funds. Rescue the Foster will provide coaching, resume writing, interview skills, professional attire for interviews, budgeting, applying for college, and obtaining housing. We want these youth to live the most free, successful life possible. It is their right and our responsibility to ensure that our future kids and grandchildren can live happy lives. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Welcome to Red, White, and Boom Rescue the Fosters Edition. I am Gino, your host. And of course, I have Sylvia Beachy and KK Emmett, my two co-hosts with me tonight. How are you, ladies? Good. How are you? Not too bad. We were just talking about the weather before, so we're bracing for another winter storm here. It's been mild, so I'm not going to complain, but uh, a little envious of our guest where she's at right now, but we'll (laughs) maybe she can send some sunshine up for us. Um, So anyway, ladies, again, that's the cutest opening in Internet. I mean, come on. That is so cute. They made that little TikTok video. I, I we just got to find music for it because it's too yeah, like you know. What? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you, get, you girls are gonna have to dig and find something. So uh, yeah. let's go ahead, and I'm gonna read the bio of our guest tonight. And uh, let me uh, switch over to the screen here. This is her website. Uh, Once a homeless 13-year-old, Marnie transformed her life to become an author, activist, founder of the nonprofit organization Love Marnie, and sought-after speaker. Marty began running away from home at the age of five after her mother dropped her out of a two-story window, breaking both of her arms. The abuse did not begin or end there. From her earliest memories, her childhood was riddled with sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. Uh, Desperate to survive and escape, Marty became what is known as a habitual, a.k.a. chronic, runaway. At the age of 13, Marty disappeared and began living as a homeless youth. Her early experiences living on the streets forced her to become quite industrious. By the age of 14, Marnie secured a job as a cocktail waitress and rented her first apartment. Being so young and struggling to maintain a roof over her head while navigating the predators and determined, and uh, she determined to exploit, or they were, I'm sorry, they determined to exploit vulnerable kids. It was Marnie's mindset that allowed her to grow up quickly and become an expert at surf, is it surf rival? I tried yeah. to figure that out earlier when I was reading. I like that. That's I think in survival. We're going to have to, yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. I, I really like um. uh, Marnie was always firm in the knowledge that his better life lay ahead. Not one to wait for better things to come. Marnie used the adaptive, resilient skills she learned on the streets to reach out and grab that better life. She now uses her experience as a young girl experiencing homelessness to inspire, ignite, and educate through survivor-led keynote and workshop presentations. Please help us welcome to Rescue the Fosters, Marnie. How are you, Marnie? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Uh, We are so pleased to have you. We love the stories of perseverance and the stories of just incredible odds against you at such a young age. And to, to strive and keep moving forward without falling into the temptations and the traps that had to be all around you as a, as a young girl. I mean, I, I just think of my own youth and what a chaotic life I lived with two parents that, you know, loved and nurtured me and all that. But, you know, I was into some dumb things as a kid, you know, and you wander around and do some things you kind of regret later in life. But I can't imagine not having the adult supervision uh, for the most part in your life and being able to succeed and be where you are today. So uh, please go ahead and let's just start right at the beginning because it's such a fascinating story. I think people are going to be very interested in hearing what you have to say. Yeah, just so you know, I can't imagine it either. So. <laughs> like, like I look and I go, wow, really? <laughs> Sometimes it almost feels like it happened to somebody else just because of where my life ended up from where I began. 
So my, I come from, and I know the word is around a lot, but it's around a lot for good reason. I come from a narcissistic family system. So in a nutshell, I came from a family that was allowing, enabling, and and hiding the abuse. Like it wasn't that nobody knew what was going on. It's that they all kind of work together and everybody has their part to play. If it weren't for that, I think a lot more abuse would be uncovered much earlier because family members would stand with the victim than survivor rather than the abusers. Mm -hmm. So the result of that was that my mother, um, I was her scapegoat child for the most part. My, I have an older brother who was more of the golden, but she flipped it back and forth. By the time I was five years old, as she and it kind of touch on this in the bio, she dropped me out of a two story window. And I'm told later on all these years later that it was actually for financial gain that she sued the landlords afterwards. I don't have evidence of this, but the person who told me was around and old enough to know back then and um, sued the landlords for no screens being on the windows. And she told the family that I was playing on a toy box I wasn't supposed to play on, but the mm. toy box actually exists. And then it became kind of the family joke, which is what happens when the abuse happens and the child goes through something, the child oftentimes becomes the joke. Like I was trying to fly like Superman. So nobody's looking beneath the surface, right? Wow. Or, or nobody's interested in that. From there, wow. I went to live with my grandparents and my grandfather, trigger warning, although I'm sure you probably have that at the beginning of this, um, my <laughs> grandfather molested me through the years that I lived with them, which was over four years and then thereafter as well. But that was the bulk of it. My grandmother was complicit. Um, and so I really began running away around the age of five and I would run looking for my father, my biological father, who at that time was not, not a part of my life. And um, eventually my mother married an American and this is how that rolls out. We get to meet our fathers after they're married. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm both, actually all three of my stepfathers, but the third one, I was an adult after they were already married. And um, we ended up moving to Florida and he was a, a lovely man who died three years later. Um, and so through that time, if I was left just with my mother or even at my grandfather's without my grandmother there, especially um, at this age, I would run away a lot. And so I became a part of the kids that the police officers know, oh, she's running away a lot. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, oh, I wonder why she's running away a lot, which happens. I see that you want to say something, Kiki. Did you have something to add? Um. I was going to say, like, I feel like it's a common trend that when abuse happens, like in the household, uh, kids are often going to just run away because, you know, they don't want to be a part of that. And that's exactly what I did when I was getting abused. I would run away. And part of how um, I don't mean to interrupt, but Not at I all. read this story. It was called Runaway Twin. I don't know if any of you guys ever heard of this book, mm -hmm. but I had read it back in like uh middle school i think it was or high school and it was crazy because that book had relate to a lot of what i was actually going to do in real life running away so i just wanted to you know really just let the audience know that it's a common thing that people uh kids or you know um anyone that's going through abuse at a young age they're gonna, their first instant is just to run away yeah i mean it's a survival mechanism right it's flight yep. right and and some kids learn different mechanisms like fight when they're younger. For me, flight was my thing and fawning was my thing. So I was either the good little girl going along to get along, or I was the runaway, or I was some mix of both of those kids, like in the face of the police who are telling me how much I'm worrying my family, my mother is beside herself, and then going, oh, by the way, why are you running away? Um, you just told me that my mother and you are all aligned and besties. So anything I say now, I know I'm the one, even at 10 and 11 years old, now you're going to know what she says about me is true and I'm a bad kid. Even though I'm getting good grades, I'm never in trouble, this was my thing. And they don't look beneath, not everybody, I, 
I know the training has improved a lot since then, but I also know it needs to improve a whole lot more. Like yeah. There needs to be more survival-led involvement because mm -hmm. we know what would have worked with us. And if I had had that, maybe I wouldn't have ended up on the streets from 13 to 14 and a half being tra trafficked for labor by the time I was 15 years old. Um, baby at 17 and I love her. I'm in her room right now and like, I'm so happy I have her, but I wouldn't have chosen to have a child at 17, right? Mm -hmm. I would have chosen mm -hmm. to be in high school doing all that fun stuff. But I was the kiddo, you know, the spoiled little girl running away all the time. And to, to your point, Kiki, the statistics show that over 80% of children who run away in North America, it's related to physical, sexual, and or emotional yeah. violence. I don't call it abuse, right? So right. they're experiencing something either within their home or closely related to their home that's creating that situation. It's not, oh my God, I'm getting in trouble or I didn't get my way and I can't buy the dress for the dance, right? Think right. about what would make a child stay on a park bench without food, without a bathroom, without safety, without love, without a person to talk to over their own bedroom. Mm -hmm. Right. Gosh. Right. You know, the, the thing that's shocking, Marnie, to me is that, you know, you said the police were kind of your, your mom's playing this game and just acting like she's this wonderful, you know, mother of the year. Um, at some point, though, you would think if, if you're doing your job as a police officer or even just a neighbor with two eyes that you would start realizing, you know, something just doesn't smell right here. Yeah. I, I, that's the shocking thing to me. Yeah. yeah. Teachers knew I was running as well. And it, it's it's also the part of, so my mother wasn't beating me. You know, my mother was emotionally abusing me. And if you're going to align with my mother and tell me something like she's so worried about you and she loves you and she wants the best for you, and then you're going to say, I know something must be going on. Do you want to tell me what that is? Well, how am I going to trust you? I've already been taught not to trust myself or the adults in the world. Mm -hmm. And they are, like, there are things that we can do to intervene and maybe sometimes it gets kind of ignored because people don't know what to say and do, which is why we're here in a way, right? Right, exactly. Yep. I wanted to share something because you're absolutely right. Like, you know, you have a hard time trusting people, especially when, you know, you've been through something very severe, like your trust is very, very limited. And that's exactly how I am sometimes, too. It's hard for me to trust people still, even now, even though I already been through all of that. It's still hard for me to trust people. Trusting is a skill we end up having to develop in, a, in our adult life. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have it until we start to consciously develop it and then understand that not everybody is trustworthy because then sometimes we go to the extreme. Mm -hmm. right because we didn't want that taken away from us. So oh, I trust everyone, right? <laughs> and then we got to the other extreme because we get our knees skinned again. Now I trust no one. And the fact of the matter is if you're in a healthy interaction, nobody really trusts trust. People are learning about each other and giving them each other the space to let trust unfold over time, right? So I like to call okay. them meeting life with kind of a neutral position rather than one or the other and i find that really helpful so maybe that's something kiki that you can kind of also because we yeah. feel bad that we trust anyone like there's something wrong with us like that's yeah. just trauma response and it's not it's actually a human reaction right 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 you know one one thing uh i just still can't believe that your mother dropped you from a second story window like that is just so shocking like and and she wasn't drunk or high or anything right this was just basically to get to get a claim like you said to make a claim and a false claim i just can't imagine somebody in that mindset being able to actually go ahead and do that like to let alone think she must have thought it through right well, if she's plotting out and, this yeah well yeah and and found the opportunity when she was kind of having this argument with my brother and then had me go and check to see if it was raining. And I opened the front door and I said it was raining. And she sent me upstairs to the window and told me I wasn't leaning out far enough and then had my ankles and let go. And so when I dropped me, she literally dropped me out of the window. And it took me decades to look back and go, oh my gosh, she actually was trying to unalive me. I think that's how we have to decide, uh, right? Yeah. Because how would she know that I would walk away with two broken arms? Right. You know, yeah. but my yeah. mother, 
my mother that's is right. she's not just a narcissist she's a sociopath yeah I was, like, that's what i was going to say there's yeah. a disconnect there's a disconnect yeah. and like no sure. bond yeah yeah and there's there's a, a, a joy in getting one up on other Perfect. people and creating pain and it's much more methodical like she's done a lot of things in terms of scams and things like that like so when i've talked to different therapists and psychiatrists and or someone hears my story who's in that field there mm -hmm. i've never had somebody not come back to me and go you know she's a sociopath and narcissist <laughs> tell me something yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah. tell me how i could fix her yeah. right gosh right. that's so sad now uh, what, how's your relationship with your your mother i'm assuming is, is still alive <laughs> i wish joke evil doesn't die <laughs> <laughs> She, yeah. she is <laughs> okay <laughs> oh boy so okay so you're now you're 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 progressing in your in your adolescence and yeah. you're let's let's skip ahead here to 13 i this is when things really kind of hit ahead i mean i this part when i was listening to your story and then reading about it i was thinking oh my gosh i can't even imagine at that age like just trying to process things clearly like like to know yeah. what you're you know like as an adult i have to make adult decisions obviously so that i you know i can my family can thrive and survive and we can be prosperous and be healthy and all those things at 13 years old though you're you don't have a home to stay in you don't have a bed to lay in you don't have food on a table like this is all on a little 13 year old brain trying to figure out okay what is my next step what am i supposed to do how did you yeah. walk us through that? That seems just crazy. So first of all, there's no question in my mind, looking backwards, I was completely disassociated. Like there's no way. And there's so many pockets of like these black holes of like day-to-day -day in particular times that I, I have no access to at this point. And who knows if I ever will. I do have some chronology, but even that's a little bit iffy. And then I have very solid memories. I can tell you that for the first month or so, I lived on a park bench and I situated, sheer luck, um, myself near a public park. Like you couldn't be on the bench in the park because they would shut it at night, but there was a bathroom there so I could actually go and wash up. Um, so that's the park bench that I chose to kind of call home for lack of a better word. And then during the day, because I wanted to be around people and because I was hungry, I would sit outside of a 7-Eleven that was within walking distance. And sometimes I wouldn't eat at all. I wouldn't get anything like just water from the sink, from the bathroom. And then there would be other days where somebody, a passerby would give me some change or some food or, you know, maybe a pint of milk or something like that. Um, some days the manager of the 7-Eleven would invite me in and he'd like, let me clean the floor or, or sock cans or something. And I could use the bathroom, which was private and wash up a little better. And he'd let me pick some food and get some extra food. Um, and eventually that actually ended because his boss, um, found out that I was sitting out there all day and I was an eyesore kind of thing and sent me back to the park bench. And from there, um, there was a woman who happened on me after I probably hadn't eaten for a day or two. And I can remember sitting like I can remember not knowing what I was going to do next and not doing anything about it because I had nothing I could do about it. And this woman brought me into her flat for a couple of days and um, she was she was a sex worker. I didn't know that, not that it would have made a difference to me. And she fed me for a couple of days and um, she talked to me and she made me promise to go home. She said, she told me what she did for a living. I didn't know. If she didn't tell me, I wouldn't have known. Like that's right. how 13 year old naive yeah. I was. And I remember just promising myself that I wouldn't sell my body and I wouldn't do drugs because she also told me that she was, a, you know, a sex worker because of the fact that she did drugs. And that's, she saved my life. Like she is the reason that from that point on, even though I was still on the streets until I fell into a job about a year or so later, I never engaged in drug use. Um, I also grew up with it in my household. Like my mother um, and my brother would steal like pot and pills and things from each other. So I was around it and I equated it with being out of control. 
So that kind of doubled down on it for me of like, this would be a bad idea. And I was in Miami during the cocaine cowboy era. So I was living on the streets when the Marielle refugees were being um, barged in. Um, the guardian angels from New York were there policing the streets and it was the height of cocaine. <laughs> like if you could have had a worse time <laughs> to yeah, be that's... a year old little girl on the streets, that oh was and yeah. because I do drugs and end up engaging in any sort of I mean, I did um, I didn't I didn't become a prostitute, but definitely I did have survival sex, you know, times where you sleep with someone to get a roof over your head and food on the plate, even though you don't mm -hmm. want to. But that was the extent of it. And it's why I think I'm who I am today. Like, it's why I, I didn't end up dying on the streets. Right. Yeah, you had to go into that survival mode just to, to protect your young self. Yeah, I, you know the the shocking thing. Another, I mean, this is all shocking, but it's it's hard to imagine. Like if I saw a thirteen year old kid, and I could see you know that they've they're dirty, they they look hungry, and they're sleeping on a park bench. I mean, you would think somebody would come up and say, you know, honey, is something wrong? Do you you need help? Like, I can't right. imagine walking by a human being, you know, even I get it. If they're adults, a lot of people will walk by someone that's an adult because they, they just assume they're a drug addict or a drunk or, you know, or they, they deserve to be out on the street, which is not necessarily the truth, obviously. But with a young person, I mean, anybody at 13, 14 years old or younger, how can you not go up and at least ask them, hey, do you want something to eat? Can I can I get you some clothes? Can I get you a blanket, yeah. a pillow? Come and stay at my house, you know, or okay. or call the police and find out, you know, what's going on. Where's your parents? Like, that's just unbelievable to me. Yeah, I mean, for me, looking backwards, it's unbelievable to me. And there were times where, um, and the people who would come up and and take me in for here and there were people who were trying to take advantage of me and oftentimes were able to, right? So, you know, I look back at that and I'm, I know I was emaciated. I know what I looked like. I know my clothes were hanging off my body and I know I looked like a baby because I, I do have a picture of me months before I ran away, right? And I can't imagine like you just said, at least like calling the police, calling, um, you know, a local homeless youth shelter or something mm -hmm. and and saying, hey, you know, there's this kid hanging on the corner over there and and, you know, something bad is going to happen. And it, it does blow my mind that nobody ever intervened in that regard at all. Not once, not ever, to my knowledge. Everybody's <laughs> too self-absorbed. Yeah, I don't want to get involved, or I don't know yeah. what to do, or, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, you're you're like sitting prey, too, for all these predators out there. I mean, just there's, yeah. and we know they're all over. I mean, this show and on our other shows, that's we talk about that quite a bit, the human trafficking element, and how uh, pervasive it is. And it's just amazing that you escaped most of that just by those survival techniques that you had just said okay you know what i need to do this to get through another day yeah, yeah. i'd rather go hungry or i'd rather mm -hmm. you know not have whatever you know it didn't matter mm -hmm. i'd rather starve to death that was kind of the decision that i made you know and um out of maybe for me it was also a way of also gaining some sort of control over my existence i'm sure that was a part of it as well right right yeah how did you, I mean, you didn't have anybody really to converse with. I mean, were you just kind of talking to yourself most of the time and just trying to like have it, like, how do you keep your sanity if you have yeah, no well, one to love or hug or, you know, to shake someone's hand or, I mean, it's just, you have no human connection. Yeah. That's well, I mean, difficult. Yeah, it's definitely very isolating, but here's the thing. I was an isolated little girl anyway. Hmm. So I had early childhood training from my experience growing up with my mother so I didn't develop the skills that I had on the streets. Those skills are things I brought with me to the streets. And if I hadn't had those experiences, I wouldn't have been on the streets, right? right? right. So when you're, when you're a, a, a person who's born into abuse, you learn how to navigate your environment in a way that other children do not, right? Kiki's nodding her head. Mm -hmm. We're different, right? We no, are different. Cause I was isolated too. Like I learned that in the house when I was in the, uh, with my, uh, 
family. I pretty much stayed by myself. I didn't really interact too much. So you're right about that part too. I escaped in books like my imaginary world, you know, watching TV, dreaming those TV people were my parents and my family and I belong there, um, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it, it was isolating and it was quiet, but it wasn't any less or more in a way isolating or quiet than the existence that I already felt in my, in my house. Right. You know, I, this is kind of a good segue uh, to go ahead and I'm going to put your book up here on the screen. So, folks, if you're interested, uh, where, where can I get the book, by the way? Is it uh, Amazon, Amazon? And your, yeah. Okay, on your website also or just Amazon? Uh, it takes you over to Amazon. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So, Missing yeah. a True Story of Childhood Lost. And, and the reason I'm uh, kind of segueing into this now is because it, as you were speaking about, you know, watching a TV screen and or, you know, seeing couples walk down the street holding hands with their kids or playing on a playground... I can't imagine like in your little mind thinking like, gosh, I'd love to have that. I wonder what that's like. I wonder what that feeling of love is, but how being that you never really had that, how do you cope with that? How do you like go back and say, gosh, I really did miss out on my childhood. I mean, how do you process that? Are you kind of living it through your, your own children now and you get to have this family involvement now and that kind of supplements what was lost? I mean, it can never be replaced, obviously, yeah. but maybe it supplements it. Um, so there's a few moving pieces. First of all, the, the loss um, is tremendous, right? And nothing ever really heals that completely. And I think it's important to say that because we are um, a society that looks for the end result. And this is one of those things that, that the healing and the growth of it is a lifelong journey. You know, every time a person, and I know Kiki's so gonna get this, right? Is mm -hmm. traumatized in some way, particularly as a child, we're altered. So every time something happens, I don't know who I would have been if that didn't wasn't done to me. It wasn't mm -hmm. something that happened. And that's a big part of the grief. You know, other kids are graduating high school and they're going off to university and they're getting married and then they're having children if they plan and all of these things. And I will never know who or what I would have been if all those things weren't taken away from me and altered. And for me personally, that was and has been, I think, one of the biggest parts of what I've had to grieve is that alteration, which is why, you know, when I look at, or you don't know, I say you know a lot. When, when we look at child abuse situations, when we look at people being arrested for violating children and them going, well, you know, we'll do six years for this or 10 years for that. That's a lifetime. We're a, we get a life mm -hmm. sentence for what's done to us on purpose. So, you know, I think it's really important that people understand that the impact. Yeah, I look all fine and great and strong and wonderful now and all that good stuff. But what's happened to me on the inside is never, ever going to go away. Trauma is going to forever live in my body. My brain was altered from the trauma. We know that is a part of it. And so then you go when you have kids. <laughs> um, for me, I will tell you definitely being able to have the, uh, I'll probably cry now, being able to have the relationships I have with my kids now, I am beyond the words of grateful. And like, I mean, my, my daughter calls, I have grandsons and she calls me and she'll go, what do you think of this? And ask for advice and all those things I never got to do. Even when I became an adult, I couldn't call my mother because I was no contact because I didn't want her impacting my children. Another loss, right? So it's it's mostly sweet, but there's that little bit of sometimes looking at my kids going, gosh, I wish I had had that, right? Yeah, for sure. But I'll be grateful, just to be clear. Uh, did your mom ever come looking for you in the streets? I mean, did anybody ever say, hey, we think we saw her in the park or anything like that? Did just seems like yeah. that would have happened at some point. So for the first two years, I had a, and I'll get to my mom, my mother. Um, I had a boyfriend who I left behind in boarding school, whose family hired two retired Interpol detectives, brought them from overseas, and they looked for me consistently for two years. 
My mother, I'm told, actively sort of looked for me for maybe the first six, nine months, and then she disassembled my room completely. My brother, who's six and a half years older, would come and look with my first love, like for the first year, and then he stopped. Um, when I was discovered because of social services, because I had a baby and they reported me back, um, they wouldn't have been able to report me back to my mother if I didn't give them my name because my name, there was no longer a report that I was missing. And the way that that social worker related that information to me, she, I could tell that there was something wrong with that. So I sort of suspect whether or not my mother might have gone and had the report pulled at some point. I don't know that to be fact, but it was certainly unusual. She right. liked having a missing child. She did not like having a child who came back. She liked the attention of the, oh my gosh, you know, poor yeah. use things. So I really um, ruined her game plan in, in a lot of different ways. Man, so sad. Wow, she is Great. such a narcissist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like pretty, pretty textbook. Yeah. 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 So at 14, Marnie, now you you start becoming a cocktail waitress. Like, how does that even happen? I mean, you obviously you must have looked older than you were. <laughs> but I mean, who would hire someone? I mean, if you know, I've owned some businesses. I, I can't imagine somebody walking <laughs> and say, oh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll hire you to, to serve drinks. Like, I, I don't get that. But yeah. Uh, That's and what is yeah. Was it Sorry. was the drinking age? Was it uh, 18 in Canada 18, or 19? It, it would have been. Eight, eight, so this is in Miami. So uh, the drinking oh, age at Miami. that okay. time was 18, I'm pretty sure. And then at some point it went to 19. Um, and yes, I lied. I lied about my age. I lied about my name. I lied about everything I needed to lie about to not be discovered and sent back to my abusive family. Right. And I got very lucky that the bar that hired me was owned by a family who had seven bars. And so they kind of became like, in a way, quite protective of me. So when the bartender, for example, tried to sell me to a client who was drinking at the bar, who had been trying to lure me in for several months, I think it was, um, and I told my bosses that bartender was fired. So I got really, really lucky to end up in that position. Um, eventually, I was around, I don't know, 15. See, this is where the time mm -hmm. thing is. Thing. Um, I met a, a guy, it sounds like a bad movie, a country singer, <laughs> who was one of the bars, I'm not even kidding, and ended up on the road with him and then eventually wow. left and that's how I ended up being trafficked for labor. But even when I got the job, like I got a place to live. And sometimes I didn't have food to eat because I didn't make enough money and tips that day. Um, I certainly wasn't safe. I was a child without guidance or structure or protection at all. Right. So, um, yeah, a kid might get themselves off the street, but that doesn't make us that much less vulnerable, really. Right. Did right. the did the country singer guy? I mean, did he ever say, "Boy, you look really young"? I mean, that had to cross his mind at some point, unless he was just looking for you know young young girls. But so <laughs> I think he was around ten years older than I was, and um, when he brought me home to Tampa to stay at his mother's house for a little bit, she's like, "Oh no, this is not continuing." And I got my own room there, which I didn't want. He was my boyfriend. Yeah. We've been living together. Um, but she, she was like, no, this is not happening. And she was trying to get the truth out of me, but that for me wasn't happening. You know, it's a very situation. And Sylvia, I think that you could relate to this part of it a lot is that, you know, yeah, we're going to call and report a child who's run away, but is then we're sending them back into the abuse because CPS or DHS or whatever agency you want to call it, um, isn't really able to investigate properly or maybe it's not a great caseworker or all of these different moving pieces that are happening. So yeah, great, we call the police, but it's like, then what? Like we have to figure out then what? And we have to do it quickly and well and not make it profitable for the yeah. system, keep these kids in the system. Exactly, Marnie. Yeah, no, you hit it. This is what Rescue the Fosters is about. Uh, and and the, that's what we keep saying is that you've taken a, a child that's been abused and you place them back in a different environment that's being abused. 
it's not, it might be more abuse. It might be less abuse, but it's still abuse. It's unstable. It's unsafe. A child is six times more likely to die in care than in a biological home. Uh, so it needs, if they're going to be in foster care, the foster care needs to be safe. Yeah. And that is what we are about is reforming the system. So yeah, right there with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was in um, my, the first boss. So I stole food <laughs> and I got arrested and then I slept in a house I shouldn't have been in. I didn't know that at the time. And I got arrested with a whole SWAT team and everything. That oh was my gosh. something. Can you imagine this SWAT <laughs> team? They're, they're doing the whole thing. And then they see these two really young girls and they're confused. Wow. Um, I can laugh about it now, but there's nothing funny about it. But um, sure. so I ended up, in youth hall for a few days, both of the times, no ID, no nothing, fake name, the whole nine yards. And I liked youth hall actually, because I had my own cell or whatever you want to call it. And um, I had food and I could go to school and they could have left me there. And really, I would have been happy in the place I was. I don't know what other places would have been like, mm -hmm. but I was fine there. Like I remember feeling like, yeah, this isn't bad compared to where I was. Um, the first foster home they put me in, there was a woman sitting there with her TV tray and like 12 kids running around and a chore wheel. She didn't get up. The, foster, the caseworker barely interacted with her, didn't make sure I was comfortable or okay. Um, I ended up going like being toured by two of the girls in the house who then threatened me. I was there for maybe 20, 30 minutes before I ran and escaped out the window. Gone. And then the second one was a group home and I left the same day. You know, that sounds like KK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that in Canada or in, in America? That was also in Florida. Both of those okay. were in Miami, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Now, that's another thing I had to ask. So how did you, did you have dual citizenship? How did that work? I mean, a green card. A green okay. Card. Okay. Yeah. My mother married an American when I was nine, and that's how I ended up in Florida from Montreal. Okay. Yeah, because I, I would think that would throw up some red flags. Maybe not nowadays, but it would have back then for sure. Oh, um, I was alone for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely nine, so it wasn't my fault. Right. <laughs> but I know I was illegal because my mother wanted me to lie to immigration agents, and I totally messed that one up. So, yeah, that happened. <laughs> I just remember traveling back and forth, like, you know, we're pretty close to Ontario. So, you know, we'd yeah. go over the Ambassador yeah. Bridge here and go to Canada and go to the bars and stuff. Because here the drinking age was 21, but it was only 19 in Canada. So we would go over there and drink with, you know, my friends. But every time they saw a carload of, you know, young young guys like us, they just tear your car apart. They tear all the cushions out. They tear everything out looking for drugs and alcohol. And, and then they laugh and they make you put it all back together. And then you're free to go into the country. <laughs> it happened every single time. And, but, yeah, That's we put up with it. You know, yeah, it was, it was it was just good times but uh so okay so let's get into the healing part of this now because i think this is you know the important part is that you did you moved past i don't know if you ever can say you've actually moved past but you've moved on from your past uh using it to help others that have that may have been in similar situations or have had uh some kind of trauma or abuses done to them and i've you know like i was saying i was watching some of your uh, ted talk and some of the other speeches you've done and they're just so um, uplifting. And, and this is the thing that really got me is seeing how strong you are on that stage. Your, your stage presence is amazing considering what you had gone through. And I think that's so encouraging to other people that have been through similar things. Because when they can say, you know what, if she can do it, maybe I can too. You know, and that, that puts that. Yeah. And I mean, I... That's what I got from it. And, you know, I don't have much trauma, uh, you know, obviously, but I was encouraged watching you saying, gosh, man, this is amazing that she can stand up there in front of all these people and tell her story and then encourage them that, hey, you can you can move on. You can you can have a life, you know, you can do things. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, no different than, I'm no different than anybody else. Right. We all have the same capacity and capability to heal and to pursue the things that make us happy and and all of those things and I mean I can tell you now I and I work as a therapist now as well right and I can tell you now that very few things trigger me and when things do it's so mild like sometimes I'm like 
wow, I didn't even have anything from like a date on the calendar anymore yeah. or whatever it is. And I don't think it's a matter of getting past your trauma. I think it's a matter of moving through and working through your trauma and the things that you went through. Um, and that has a lot to do with who and where and what I am today. Like writing my book was me being forced to face a lot of things that I didn't want to revisit. But in revisiting them and remembering that I made it through the worst part, the actual trauma itself, that helped me a lot on my healing journey. And standing up and, and speaking or even being here, I was the kid that wouldn't raise her hand in class because I was afraid to be judged or rejected or made fun of or all of those different things. So that recognition that you had, like that means a lot to me because it took me, I would have never imagined having the capability to do that. And that point is that, you know, we can do anything that we choose to, we just have to kind of be willing to take that risk and move, push through the fear, right? And so I always ask myself, when I'm going to do something new or whatever it is, what is the worst thing that can happen? And right. if the answer is nothing that bad, I'm doing it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it for sure. Yeah, because I think people are gripped by fear a lot of times. They don't want to move forward because they're afraid of failure. But you know what? That's how you learn. Sometimes you do have to stumble. Sometimes you got to fall down, skin your knees, and get back up. Yeah. And uh, obviously, that's what you had to do. You know, it, your vocabulary is very broad, too, which is amazing to me because obviously, I mean, you missed a ton of school, I would I would guess. Yeah. Now, how did you end up? Did you go back, get your GED, and then do some university or was it? I, I did go back and get my GED. I did do some university and um, different certifications as well as it relates to um, my uh, therapy practice that I have. But mostly, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I read so much mm. because mm. books were my escape. So I think like looking backwards, my vocabulary was advanced at a young age because I was lost in books so much of the time. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of reading. Yeah. That's another so, thing I noticed in the foster system. Sorry? Well, I was just going to say that a lot of foster youth read a lot to escape. It's yeah. their escape. But they're really smart. They're really ahead of their, usually above their grade level and um, well-versed in, like, every everything. Yeah. Well, when you, yeah, because reading is reading and comprehension, right? Mm -hmm. So, and what is that? That's critical thinking. So all of those things working together really develop your brain at a higher level. I was also very into music and playing instruments before I ended up on the streets. And so being that, that develops your critical thinking as well. Oh, yeah. so things kind of combined um, really put me ahead of the game before I ended up on the streets. Um. That's awesome. So with your, um, what kind of therapist are you? Um, I work with survivors of narcissistic okay. system. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <sense>. that's perfect. <laughs> and it's trauma related to that because people who are raised in those family systems are pre-groomed for yes. other abuses, right? Like CSA, for example, and domestic violence because they choose right. like kind of partners. And I'm also um, an EMDR therapist. So I work with um, bilateral stimulation and helping people release the trauma so that they can actually start to process it in the part of the brain that can address what happened to them. Um, so that's what I do. That's gotta I be just very... heard about that type of therapy. Oh my, it's, it's magical. I love it. I, I love using it. I love seeing the results in my clients. It's so highly effective and ironically or maybe not ironically my son who's finishing his phd married a girl who's now a child psychologist and she's practicing emdr so it's kind of cool that we have it in the family yeah. Yeah. your dinner cool. table is fun i'm sure yeah that's got to be very gratifying being able to help others, you know, like with your speeches, but also in your, your practice there, that's got to be like, just very rewarding knowing that I, I got to tell you, I mean, I don't know what the stats are for, for kids that are runaways and, you know, and lost in the foster care system, as far as being successful, it's not very high. We know that, 
but you did escape and you you are one of the ones that said you know what no i'm gonna succeed i'm gonna be somebody in spite of my circumstances because let's face it a lot of kids would just you know kind of have like a pity party and you know probably get hooked on drugs or or sex or something to fill those voids but yet somehow you kind of circumnavigated it and said no i'm just gonna keep continuing yeah, I mean, it just, I think part of it, it depends on the coping mechanisms that you develop in childhood, right? And it, if we don't have a little bit of support along the way, um, you know, pity party, like more, it, it's hard to get out of the place of of feeling like there's something so wrong with you, you're never going to be okay. And that's what happens, right? You feel that your damaged goods and that everybody sees you for what you really are and all of those different things. So it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy that mm. that children think about being a child and you're trained to believe that there's nothing good about you. How do you ever get out of that unless you have some sort of one coping mechanism that kind of allows that. And two, most importantly, some people along the way that put little pieces in your cup so that you were able to develop a sense of self beyond what you were taught about yourself. So that's a, you know, that's a that's a really big one. And and not ending up on drugs. I mean, some of these kids, you look at the pain that they went through, you'd want to do like, I'd want to do drugs too, not to say that mm-hmm. the only reason that I didn't was because of particular experiences. My brother did. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, we, we were in the same household, but different people find different coping mechanisms. I physically ran away. He ran away emotionally by dulling his senses. Right. Yeah. Hmm. It's hard. It's a, it's a hard situation. I had yeah, a little, right. too, you know, Right. How do your uh, own kids look at your life and say, I mean, they got to be proud of you. They have to be going, wow, yeah. this is an amazing yeah. story. I can't my, you know, believe my mom survived this and is thriving now. That, yeah. That's got to be very yeah. awe-inspiring to them. Well, my youngest daughter um, it just started a job working um, as a, I think she's a volunteer coordinator. I just volunteered for her at um, a homeless outreach center here in Central Florida. And um, I mean, they all do things to give back and they're all very mm-hmm. empathetic human beings. And I think a lot of that has to do with growing up and bits and pieces and then now they read my book. I mean, so yeah, um, I right. edited it and wrote the forward. And I think um, I'm really blessed for the relationship that we have. And I know that there's no question that they admire what I've come from, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, ladies, any more questions for Marnie? We don't want to take her time. She's only got an hour, so we don't want to yeah. hold you up. And no, KK, I, KK, anything? I have a lot, but I don't know if we have enough. <laughs> I can see the wheels spinning. <laughs> yeah. KK, I'm sorry. I've been calling you Kiki the whole time, I think. Oh, I didn't no, even know it's, it, it's, her new nickname. it's her new nickname. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'd rather uh, ask you maybe like another time more questions because I have a lot of questions because I'm like trying to get out of that, you know, um, like how you were talking about where you feel like you're not good enough and you're just going to keep repeating the same cycles and then really just learning to be alone, like uh, not having like, you know, being more independent and not being so co-independent, I think. No, I can't remember the word. Co-dependent. Yeah. Yeah. So because like for me, um, at a young age, like I can relate a lot of what you were saying, like, you know, my first memory was being alone on the streets, like not knowing where my parents were, not knowing what happened to them, trying to find a place to like uh, have a place to sleep, find some food. So like for me, that started very, very young, like how yeah. you were saying, like five. For me, it was like probably two or three. And so even through all of that and then abuse with my family, um, it, it really put a lot of toll on me and then also been through like abusive relationships. So it's like, you know, just like one thing after another, after another, it, it, it's been kind of, you know. Yep. Froze up. Did we freeze? Yep. 
KK? Yeah, well, no, only KK did. <laughs> oh. oh no. Yeah, she's... She, she, oh, there she goes. There it goes. Can you hear us, KK? You froze up for a second. Oh, yeah, okay, you froze up for a second. Yeah, you're good. You're good now. KK, if you want well, to reach I'll... out to me, you know where to find me. So, okay. and if you have questions or anything like that, you can absolutely reach out to me. I'm very okay. sorry for what you've gone through. Like, just so sorry. You know, you deserve no. it. Hey, it's okay. I mean, you know, God has made me become a strong woman from that too. Like, I mean, I know that I see myself, you know, being on the stage and sharing my testimony too and helping other young women, you know, that are- Yeah, look what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That's awesome, right? It is. Sometimes it feels like it's not, you know, because it feels like, you know, people are not listening. But then again, I have to remind myself, like, no, I am. I'm doing it. Like, people are going to pay attention. It'll always seem like that, but it is. For me, I always look at it as, you know, if only one person is impacted, that's one person that wouldn't have been, you know, like, it's one person at a time and it have, has a ripple effect. So, you know, somewhere out there, somebody's heard your voice and you've made a difference in their life. And, and that's all that matters, really. Right, right. Uh, guys, I went ahead and dropped uh, the YouTube channel and Marnie's website in the chat for you if you guys want to check that out. Uh, let's, in fact, let me go ahead. This is her YouTube channel. Uh, narcissistic Family Abuse Survivor, Marnie Grunman. Uh, I watched probably about... 12 videos today i think it was <laughs> i like the, the little sh yeah the little short ones are great i mean they're just you know you, you kind of hit it right get right to the point and uh i think you're going to help a lot of people with your website if you haven't already and and your youtube channel so go ahead check out her youtube channel you can check out her website i as i said i did drop that in the chat for you marniespeaks.com and guys in the description i have uh, all of her social media links uh, her link trees in there so you guys can check out all of her information. And then again, her book is Missing, A True Story of a Childhood Lost by Marnie Grunman. Check that out. And it is available on Amazon and I'm sure all other book outlets online and, uh, and probably in the store too. Is there any bookstores left? I don't even know if, like, there used to be what it was at B. Dalton, I think it was. Um, I haven't yeah, seen one of those in forever. Yeah. I know that I think uh, is it chapters or Barnes and Barnes and Noble. I know they Barnes used to order from the okay. store itself. I know somehow it's listed through them. I don't even know how, but I know it is. Right. Yeah, there's not a lot left, but there's a few. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Marnie, thank you so much for coming on, yeah. and uh, best of luck, and and God bless you. We appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us and and sharing your story. And it's just like I said, it's very awe inspiring, and um, I think this will encourage a lot of people that may have been in similar situations when they watch this they'll see you know and hopefully yeah. they'll check out your website and all your your material and if they need to reach out reach out to you what's the best way is that your email um that's my email yeah okay i also have the email in the links uh um, yeah in the uh, description uh in the video guys so you can check that yeah. out too yeah it's on my link and all that too so yeah awesome well thank you so much uh yes, um, thank you, so Marnie. sylvia and kk hang on i'm not going to hang up with you guys but we'll let marnie go so she can get back to her family Thank you so much. God bless and uh, take you. care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Oh, there we go. <laughs> what an awesome woman. Man, so yeah. many great stories. I mean, these people are just like, I, I can't, I was trying to, you know, I'm watching her videos the last couple of days and I'm sitting there watching and I'm thinking, I can't even imagine being 13 years old. And actually, the first time she, I don't know if she, if she touched on this or not, I don't remember. The first time she ran away, she was five for like a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yeah. can you imagine at five? Like, I just. No, I can't imagine as an adult living on the streets because I'm sorry, I'm not going to be out in the cold. Like, I'm calling somebody. Yeah. Oh, um, so Tesla Dove in the chat said, can't believe I stumbled in here. So pertinent to the things in real life. I will share this with a close friend. Interesting. Yeah, Tesla. Um, yeah, go have them, uh, you know, share the, the link to her website or her book. Um, she's got tons of videos. I mean, it can go right over to YouTube and get instant help. I mean, it was amazing, the story she was telling there and, and the therapy, you know, using therapy to help people uh, get past their traumas and, and move on with life. But, you know, she smiled that whole interview. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, and just like she said, the pain's still there. It's obviously there. You can't, you're never going to get rid of it completely in this life. 
but to see that she has grandchildren, she's got three kids, like she's successful and she could have just ended up like a lot of people that just say, you know what? I'm giving up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue. I'm forsaken. Nobody cares about me, you know, and then just kind of get in the corner of a, you know, some vacant alley and just, you know, I'm going to die here. Yeah. I mean, think about how many lives she's touching right now. Right. By not taking those ways out. It's amazing. Right. It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. KK, I knew, I I knew you would relate really well to some of her story because and, and that's deeper. You need to go to her YouTube yeah. channel and watch some of those videos. You'll really get, you'll understand it. Oh, you froze up again. Uh, she froze again. <laughs> it's raining here. Maybe it's. Oh, uh, is it? Okay. Yeah. I've watched one of her videos. Oh. Oh, you did? Okay, good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you were frozen up. The faces you're making, too, it's funny when they're freezing. I know it is. <laughs> oh, man. It's good stuff. All right. Well, I guess another one in the books. This is one of our shorter, shorter episodes, just under an hour. Um, yeah. But no, no need to carry it on. I think we got the gist of the story there and everybody knows where to go to find out more. Yeah. I will be live Saturday night with my good friend, Michael on the blender 11 PM Eastern standard time. Got another show lined up for you this week. And then uh, Sunday, as far as I know, as long as Mike is healthy, he's trying to recover from, he thinks he had pneumonia. Uh, me, me and the Hollywood reporter, Mike Pack will be back to doing true Hollywood stories Sunday evening. Uh, I think we're going to start at eight. I think we decided. So, uh, look for those two shows this weekend, ladies, where are you going to be? Any interviews or anything coming up? Uh, not this week. I'm going to a conference. You guys, by the way, (laughs) so you were just on another show. I, I have no idea you guys are on all these podcasts and then all of a sudden, like, you know, Terry will tweet out something I'm like oh they run another one like you gotta let me know so I can share it and let people know you guys are like famous well, I don't now. know where they get the videos out what's that <laughs> I said I don't know when she'll have the videos out and plus we would uh, do it a while ago yeah well aren't they like they well not all of them not Some all of them are are just recorded and then posted most of them okay. are just recorded and then posted yeah, yeah. you guys are all over the place well, good. That's kind of what I'm hoping that when they start Googling my name, they start seeing me all over the place. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I, I, that's the one thing I haven't been doing. I do hashtag rescue the fosters, but I need to start doing your individual names. Yeah. I didn't even oh. think about that. So I might, ha- I might have to go back yeah. through all the descriptions and put that in there just in case. Because oh. now KK, KK is getting some traction on TikTok too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm just posting the video. I'm trying to bring awareness. <laughs> Yay. Well, you're doing a good job. All right, guys. Love you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, hopefully I will see you Saturday evening at 11 p.m. I'm going to go ahead. I'm, I think this is going to be our new outro. We're going to play Megan's, Megan's uh, her intro for her show. But by the way, oh, I should bring this up. Uh, should I or shouldn't I? What? I've been talking a lot with Megan the last couple of days. Um, <clears throat> she's got something brewing. Yeah, I'm going to let her reveal it, but I think it's great. I think I think people are really going to enjoy it, but I don't want to... I'll let her come out and talk. Uh, actually, I think her and I are going to be doing a show pretty soon. She's got a bunch of information that she's come across oh, and wants to share. So I think hopefully maybe Tuesday or the following Tuesday we'll do another Red, White, and Boom with Megan Walsh. Anyway, have a great night. Be blessed. Take care. Love you. And you know what I didn't do? You know what I forgot to do, ladies? Yes, I was wondering if you were going to do it at the end. I I didn't do the advertisements. You got to do it now, then. (laughs) I have to. I got to. Listen, if you're having a rough night sleeping, folks, what better way to enjoy a good, solid sleep than having a MyPillow 2.0? And look, I, I said this last night. It was kind of funny. We were joking around. I'm serious when I say this, though. We I got the new 2.0 pillow. I've got the slippers on right now, which are incredible. I've got the... Uh, Show us. Got the, we have the Giza sheets, which are incredible. <laughs> my wife said it's like sleeping in a in a like a luxury hotel. <laughs> so nice. it's, it's I've been sleeping so good, and they're so comfortable. And the, the new pillow is amazing. It's better than the original one. I love it. And I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor on the show. I'm, I 
it's incredible. So Mike Lindell, thank you so much for your hard work. And I'm going to go ahead and we're going to end with these two commercials. Then we'll call it a night. Cause I, I have to, we have to promote our sponsors. We have we? to promote. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So my pillow and Z stack. Mike Lindell and in light of the recent events, your continued support means everything to myself <laughs> and my employees to thank you. We're having the biggest sale ever on all my pillow bedding. Get my pillow bed sheets for as low as $29.98. A set of pillowcases for only $9.98. In this economy, instead of buying a new bed, rejuvenate your bed with a my pillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. We also have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles, like plush, waffle, or gossamer, for as low as $29.98. We even have pet blankets from small size to the ones for your car. Get huge discounts on duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. So go to MyPillow.com or call that number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding, including MyPillow bed sheets for as low as $29.98. Get all your shopping in while quantities last. Please order now. It's a general uh, immune health preventive strategy. So you need vitamin D, then you need zinc, which is the bullet, and then to form a functioning gun, you need vitamin C and quercetin. Patients were having trouble sourcing it because it was four different ingredients that were not always available in the same place. They had trouble finding the right doses. It was a puzzle that was a little too complex for people to put together. So I was asked to produce something that has everything in one package. So with the help of my colleagues, we were able to produce a compound called Z-Stack, which basically has vitamin C, vitamin D, and most importantly, as quercetin and zinc. And all I'm allowed to say is that it's an immune booster and nutritional supplement, which it is.